0: Oh,
1: recorded live.
0: Scuba Obsessed the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode one seventeen is recorded live, May twenty fourth, twenty twelve. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson. Here's some of the articles we're going to be covering tonight. We have a clean water settlement. We have a hunt for a dangerous snake. We also have UC39. And we have follow-up and a few articles from the previous weeks. But before we get started, I'd like to welcome my co-host for this week. First up, we have Mac, our dive mentor. How are you doing today, Mac?
1: Doing very well, thank you. Glad to be here.
0: Excellent. And then we also have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm uh, just great. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. So the weather's really beginning to turn or be beginning to turn a lot nicer than what we've been having. We had that little cold spell, and I, I finally feel like we've, we've crept back into seasonally appropriate weather. Hard to believe that summer is just a few days away from starting, at least as we as we do it on the holiday calendar. So first up in the news... And this one's a follow-up from one we had earlier in the year. This was the man who, if you remember, he survived the fire by using his scuba gear and tank. <laughs> yeah, it's one way to do it. <laughs> uh, this one's out of Phoenix. This is uh, day two of the ta- day. Goodness, this is day two of the trial. This is a former Phoenix banking executive accused of setting his multi-million-dollar home on fire. Uh, 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 allegedly because he couldn't afford it. They were hearing from neighbors in the case. Uh, one of the, artic- one of the uh, neighbors was saying, it was a pre enormous from what I could call a towering inferno from the skylights of the house. Um, Martin got out of the house by climbing down a ladder wearing scuba diving tank to breathe. Uh, bird found him sitting in the front of the house. He was sitting down, rather relaxed posture, not coughing at all. And then the prosecutor asked what happened next. He said when the paramedics came, he was coughing rather excessively. Paramedics told me he had smoke inhalation. So uh, it sounds based on the testimony. They're trying to imply that uh, it might not have been an accidental fire.
1: I like the part where they say he's eccentric. And, uh, eccentric.
2: Yeah. Is that what you call it? <laughs> Well, you know, arson and
0: rape are the two hardest
2: crimes to get a conviction on, and rape has become easier because of DNA.
0: Well, arson, I think they've gotten pretty good at figuring out when something's been started, it's just trying to prove who did it. Yep.
2: That's it. Detecting it is not hard, proving a case most of the time it's a superficial case or and it, it's difficult to get a conviction on it.
0: Well, we of go course,
2: from uh, what's that? The insurance companies, the insurance Companies don't have to pay off when there is question,
0: oh really, so they just decide not to pay
2: well, they can hold they can withhold payment until the uh, decision is done, and the owner is found not responsible.
0: Uh, well, that makes sense. It's kind of hard to get the ba- the money back the other way yeah. they, can, they can they can wait you out. they have plenty of incentive to wait for a while so first arson now drugs thousands of pounds of pot worth three point six million found floating off California coast. So, Matt, could you imagine being out there grubbing and uh, finding some bales floating around?
1: I wouldn't know what that stuff was. <laughs> if it floated, I'd probably use it for a buoy.
0: <laughs> That's probably a buoyant.
1: I'm sure I like that boat in the background, though, don't you?
0: Oh yeah, that'd be a nice one.
1: It looks like a tri-hull, armored-plated sheriff department boat.
0: A department that has some serious income, considering it's Los Angeles
1: considering they just got an 8-point-something million dollar haul, right, or 3.6 million?
0: Well, they have to sell the marijuana first before they get that.
1: Well, for medicinal purposes.
0: <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah, in California, they can probably just repackage it, medical marijuana. So It works
1: for me. Uh,
0: the haul was reportedly totaled 7,263 pounds. Uh, Coast Guard Petty Officer Seth Johnson told the Orange County Register that the bales were first reported by a boater who saw them floating about 15 miles offshore. Three Harbor Patrol ships and a Coast Guard cutter were sent to <laughs> recover the marijuana from the water. Now, three Harbor Patrol ships and a Coast Guard cutter. Yeah. Well, they think it was going to fire on them?
1: How many uh, bales did the uh, anonymous reporter have? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was a finder's fee. That was a finder's
0: different. fee. Well, actually, that, that's probably how you do it. What you do is you is you throw a few hundred bales in one spot and then another 30 or 40 and report them. It would have been a great diversion four boats went to the spot where it was reported, you could haul the rest up on the beach. At other events, they dumped bales to get rid of weight if they'd been chased. So they're speculating that uh, they might have been dumped.
1: You'd have thought whoever was chasing them might know there was some stuff out there and look for it
0: or run into it. it. I wonder if uh, this might be an indication that the uh, smugglers have figured out uh, tides and currents. Wouldn't it make sense to be in Mexican waters and uh, put it out then... You know, calculate when it would float north.
1: I like the one who put the GPS stuff on it, just dump it, and then you go pick it up when you need it.
0: Oh, well, there you go. That that might even be better. Okay, this next one's about a movie, but I have no idea anything about the movie or the people in it. This might be a sign that I'm getting too old. Getting? (laughs) Getting. Well, I like to think I'm not there yet. Uh, But this one's from Australia, diving deep for a Gabe Watson flick, actor's, Amber Clayton and Billy Billy Miller are delving deep into the roles of the Alabama couple Tina and Gabe Watson for the final movie, Fainal Honeymoons. So any idea who any of those people are?
1: That's not based on that one about that Alabama resident who tried to kill a... Who was accused of murdering his wife in Australia, remember?
2: I believe it is.
0: Ah. He
1: did time down there, and then the folks back here said he should have been charged with murder, and... I didn't know it was over and up. That's what it sounds like.
0: Oh, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, Gabe Watson.
0: Yeah, I bet you're right. Didn't connect the two together.
1: I didn't either. I just Googled it. that
0: <laughs> so, yeah, the great book of knowledge there.
1: I'm surprised it worked.
0: Well, we go from allegedly underwater snake to uh, an underwater uh, – is this a fish? No, the dangerous snakehead fish.
1: Yeah, the frankenfish.
0: Hunt begins for the dangerous snakehead fish in British Columbia. So they've got a, the great snakehead hunt in British Columbia. Uh, on Wednesday, the provincial government staff packed, the, packed up their gear and headed out in an attempt to capture what they're nicknaming the frankenfish. It's purportedly lurking in the lagoon Burn Bay Central Park. Staff will conti- confirm whether the snakehead was in a watershed and determine how many they are. They said a significant amount of time will be spent in the pond Wednesday trying to figure out the best way to capture the snakehead and has wide mouth, which has a wide mouth with sharp teeth. Some are speculating that it was released from a fish tank.
1: Well, it can live in a heck of a extreme. They live in water with temperatures ranging from zero to 30 degrees C.
0: So anything till freezing.
1: So it's a voracious top-level predator, has no natural enemies, and loves Navy fish. They can breathe air, survive up to four days out of water, can survive longer. That sounds like you, Mac. Say what? (laughs) That sounds like you. In my younger days.
2: (laughs) How long can you survive without being in the water? It's about four days, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Uh, During the summer, I like to get wet.
0: Well, I think later in the show, we'll we'll find out how much you like to get wet, because I think you've been putting the rest of us to shame. Next up is salvage plan for the wrecked Costa Concordia unveiled in Rome. And I've been bad again. I keep forgetting to paste these into the chat room. Plans uh, have been formalized to remove the massive wreck wreck of the Costa Concordia, which lies half submerged off Italian island of Galeo after capsizing in January. So without reading the whole article, they've got a nice uh, drawing that shows what they're going to do. So they're going to build a platform. They're going to create anchors on shore. They're going to use a couple cranes. They're going to weld uh, some pontoons onto it, lift it, and then weld some more. So at one they're calling those, uh, those anchors tieback chains. Huh. They said the first step is stabilize the ship from further slippage down the slope of the seabeds where it rests. They said that will take a year. Um, then they said this will be achieved by attaching tieback chains from the submerged part of the ship, starboard side, close to shore to a structure built nearby. After it is stabilized, the, a subsea platform will be built along the port side, the non-submerged side, and huge caisson, uh, steel boxes will be welded to the exposed side of the ship. The caissons will be filled with water. This gives the ship extra buoyancy. Still not figuring how filling it with water gives it buoyancy, um... Uh, the caissons will have the effect of making the ship wider, and the water will add mass, which improves the turning moment to bring it upright. Now, I believe that. Uh, pulling machines will then be connected to the subsea platform. Two cranes fix the platform will pull the Concordia upright, facilitated by the water-filled caisson. The ship will then be flooded. Oh, the ship will still be flooded, so it won't float. Instead, it will rest on the platform. When the ship is upright, the caissons will be welded to the starboard side of the hull. Caissons on both sides will then be deballasted. And after treating and purifying the water within the caissons to protect the marine environment, they'll be filled with air. Uh, they said the strategy has been used in both the U.S. and the Royal Navy, but no one has moved a ship of this size.
2: $300 million worth?
0: Yeah, $300 million. That's a big oops.
2: I still think it would make a good wreck just slide it on down
0: the hill a little bit and die. Yeah, it. yeah it, make, it makes sense, but everybody's no, all they... wig, wigging out about how dangerous it is.
1: Now well, they still may have a American come through there within the next year and take care of
0: it. I'm trying to see. Somewhere I read that this company was an American salvage company, International Salvage Union. <clears throat> so we go from salvaging wrecks to robotic fish. So here are the next, next two. I keep thinking about something like this, that it'd be cool to make these, just send them out and let them hunt for shipwrecks for us could report back every once in a while?
1: They have robotic items like that right now they use for mapping the oceans.
0: Yeah, I've seen the ones where it's kind of like, a looks like a torpedo, <clears throat> and by compressing, it's able to drive through the water.
1: What we need to do is go to some of these high schools that have the robotic teams and tell them how it would be really, really, really good if they made ROVs and that we could provide stable platforms for the students to go on and to test out their ROVs.
0: Yeah. We we know where there's some good wrecks for them to experiment on. Well, yeah, stable I'm platforms. Serious, stable.
1: they might have to navigate around.
0: Stable
2: platforms we could provide. Stable yeah. supporters, I don't know about that.
0: Yeah. Well, mentally or emotionally stable, is that what you're saying?
2: Stable advisors, no, that's not us. But stable platforms, yeah.
0: Yeah, we we could... We could find something along the lines, so uh, liquid robotics out of Sunnyville, California, which has recently acquired twenty two million dollars from investors, uh, is creating a fleet of wave propelled solar powered ocean robots originally designed to capture elusive music. They have been uh, too much potential to uh, they have potential to do much more than that find tsunamis, track fish, and snuff out offshore oil leaks. The uh, Silicon Valley uh, capitalist planned to retire at his home in uh, Kona, Hawaii, after two decades of starting investment tech companies like uh, Symantec and SanDisk. Then he heard of the humpback whales migrating to Alaska. He said the more you listen to it, the more captivating it it sounds. On a lark, he uh, convinced his neighbor to help him transmit the sounds to his home using a hydrophone. A kayak and a cable strung hundreds of feet from the shore, but they couldn't hear the whales. He needed to move the hydrophone further in the ocean, This solution was a ham radio transmitter inside a pickle jar, and a wireless hydrophone hung off the kayak anchored a few hundred yards offshore. Uh, Soon after doing this, police showed up where they found the empty kayak they thought someone had drowned. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I can visualize this fairly easily, something like this happening.
1: Uh, I like where they said they had to design it so it would work in severe weather, 100-mile-an-hour winds and 50-foot waves.
0: Yeah, it makes sense because if you're going to just throw a buoy out there and have something on it, it's got to handle all that stuff. Where you get a you get a fish going, you know, it 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 just swims right on through it. So in 2007, he he launched uh, Liquid Robotics. They refined the prototype into a dependable craft they could actually sell. They need electronics to work consistently in saltwater. He says it is deceptively complex. Solar panels run the robotics computers which chart a course using GPS, collect environmental data with onboard sensors, a cable dangles, an underwater glider that looks like window shutters flapping to push the craft forward. They had inadvertently solved one of the great conundrums. They found a way to harness wave power for propulsion. So far, they've built about 120 robots they're calling wave gliders. He says none are cheap. It could cost $150,000 a day, and sending out a buoy can run a million to three million. Liquid Robotics sells robots for $200,000 each or rent some for data collection for 1500 to 3000 a day? Still a little bit more money than all I've got laying around. I'd rent myself out at
1: $3,000 a day.
0: <laughs> You'd be a living buoy?
1: Absolutely. Are you telling me you wouldn't give that shots for a couple of months a year? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not that expensive. I could I could do it for 3000 a day.
1: What do you do, get one of those big hamster balls and live inside of it? And... <laughs> You know, have a gyro because it can spin and you can say stable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that would work.
0: Yeah, the, we could, know, could double as an ISP. They could bounce uh, internet signals off of.
1: Yeah. You, you see the trend here, though? What's that? Uh, you got seagoing drones, which is what we're talking, and you got aerial drones. Anything to get the man out of the loop? Because we would cost money.
0: Well, is it really drones if you're not yeah, attacking somebody in the middle of a outback?
1: Well, no, they use the drones for weather recovery. They, they use it for a lot more than just delivery and you know, hardware, <laughs> traffic control. Yeah,
0: there's a whole discussion on drones that we could go into.
1: Yeah, and Antigua ones.
0: Well, if it's find shipwrecks, I, I guess I'd be for those.
2: <laughs> yeah, that discussion could just drone on and on and on.
0: Oh, okay, well, in Chile, they have built the world's biggest pool, a pool so large you can actually sail on it. This pool is over a half mile long, stretches along Chile's coast. It is a rather stunning amenity for guests of San Alfranzo Del Mar Resort. Not only do they do swimming in it, but they also do sailing, scuba diving, windsurfing, jet skiing, kayaking. The pool has been dubbed the Crystal Lagoon, requires 66 million gallons of water to fill.
1: I bet they don't want you to pee in it either.
0: Probably not. Now, look at that photo. Isn't that just unbelievable?
1: Can you imagine the filtration system they've got to have for that?
0: I mean, do they really at what point do you just call it a lake and say it's good?
1: <laughs> Man made lake, it is.
0: Yeah. I wonder if it's got tile. I mean, do they tile the whole thing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know. Is that the way it actually looks right now?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's complete. I said that that photo is an aerial view of the half mile long. Cool. Okay,
1: I just looked at the little pictures under it.
0: Yeah. Oh, are those? Uh, let me see. I haven't. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Sun deck and everything, man. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Well, I, we're getting to that point where in tourism, you just got to do the next bigger thing. You have to have the biggest or the best.
1: Now there's no sharks or anything out there, and that's a hell of a big. Oh, what? How deep it is? Did they say?
0: They did. They said scuba diving, but now there's one photo where do you see the one where there's the uh, woman in the. Uh,
1: in the floating raft or whatever?
0: Yeah. Doesn't it look like the raft is just floating above? I, actually, just,
1: I think that's a guy, by the way. Is it a guy? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. On my monitor, it's so small you can't see it. That's why uh, to look. <laughs> yeah. They said that, ironically, Chile is having their worst water shortage in history right now. Uh, they've had a two-year drought, which has reduced water levels in reservoirs, and dams uh, are only running at 40% capacity.
1: That their electricity rates
0: going up. Yeah, those turbines probably aren't quite as a, as efficient as they would normally be. The world's first war U-boat UC-39 uh, is still being hunted. Who's oh, searching I, I, for it? What's that? Who's searching for it? I I think I read that wrong. It says, in, it says
1: I think they should have said World War One U-boat.
0: Yeah, it's kind of worded a little bit odd. This is from the Shelby. Well, well, it's from the UK, so we'll we'll just mark it up to that. You know, us Americans can't understand that fancy English. A Shelby scuba diving club will be searching the seabed to map some of the more than 150 shipwrecks, including a German submarine that was depth charged in 1917. Uh, The Shelby branch is part of the British sub-aquatic club, and they will be logging and photographing wrecks littering the 25-mile stretch of the northeast coast they're planning to record the first ever underwater footage of the stricken submarine and they're going to be uh, organizing special events where they'll show the video the uc-39 was built by Blohm and voss in 1916 the war grave it is a war grave so we have to be careful and treat it with respect the wreck is in good condition the uc-39 is under command of uh Auto. we'll just call him Otto. I don't think I'm going to pretend for the rest. It was actually shelling a steamer, Ida, in uh, Brightington Bay, where it was surprised by a uh, destroyer, HMS Thrasher, which shelled and then depth-charged her.
1: Yeah, she was a mine-layer submarine, just like the UC-97 that we have in our lake, and that one was credited with sinking at least three ships, either torpedo or mines.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So, so which is the what number is the one we have in the lake? UC ninety seven. Oh,
1: 97. Okay. It was towards the latter part of the year and did not actually see service. It was still in the uh pens.
2: Interesting. They actually uh, captured
0: it and were towing it when it sunk, or or it was scuttled because that was the same thing that happened with the uh, kind of the World War Two one that we've got the Chicago. They tried to scuttle it and. Uh, they uh, somebody was able to get on board and seal it back up.
1: Uh, that Woodpecky or whatever the heck, the free encyclopedia, it says uh was forced to surface by depth charge attack, shot by gunfire from the British.
0: So they're documenting their 120 or so wrecks they have off off there. This next article talks about 200 ships that are uh, met their end at the bottom of Lake Michigan. The May and June edition of the Indian, Indian Indiana Department of Natural Resources magazine Outdoor Indiana has a featured article by Nick Warner about Indiana's underwater history. According to the naturalist, there are about 5,000 shipwrecks in the Great Lakes. This is more shipwrecks than in the Bermuda Triangle between 100-200 ships met their grave in deep off of Indiana, the bottom of Lake Michigan. Lake Michigan is about 300 miles long and can be 900 feet deep and the farthest northern end of the lake. Uh, uh, Michigan near Indiana is about 70 feet deep. That is relatively shallow for a great lake. Uh, They talk about back in the 80s uh, the attempt to raise the J.D. Marshall, and that brought about state and federal laws protecting wrecks from salvage operations. Now, what, what was that about? Did somebody own salvage rights and try and salvage it? It's bullshit,
1: but we won't go there because I'll get aggravated and really start <laughs> dominating the airwaves here.
0: <laughs>
1: and he's also wrong on his figures.
0: Well, some of the I, I thought that uh, some of his numbers were a little light. Very light. Tell us what you tell us what you really think, Mac.
1: No, we'll make we'll have one one day. We'll just discuss the non-constitutionality of the law in Michigan, especially to the guy who really found the Huntley. That's the guy who wrote some of the uh, rebuttals to this law. It had a good purpose, but the way they implemented it is not the way it should be.
0: We need to do a special. We need to get some uh, experts on both sides and just let them duke it out. Only if we can do it face-to-face. Face-to-face? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, when we we gave our little presentation on this, we talked about a conservative 8,000 in the Great Lakes, a conservative 3,000 in Lake Michigan. We have at least 300 in the southeast corner of Michigan.
0: That Those numbers seem much more reasonable. And like you said, I believe those are all conservative numbers. I'm well, convinced there's a lot more than that.
1: I, I know we have 46 I have marked on a chart that were lost within, I think, five-mile circle of Benton Harbor. I've got another chart that's got 50-odd wrecks alone. And that was at the Michigan City. We're not even talking to Buffalo, South Haven, the other ports in this area. So when he says 200, I'd say 300 in our corner.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, how many in St. Joe ran into the pier?
1: It was a good number. But no, we're not talking. in you know, one year we're talking from basically 1836 to probably 1910 is when they lost a heck of a lot of vessels out there. Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, and I can't even remember what I was doing with this next one.
1: The scientific diving. Yeah. Did you skip those other ones on purpose?
0: Which ones did I skip?
1: Seattle, clean water, cargo ship, the barrier oh, reef. Oh no,
0: I no I didn't. How'd I get Concordia? <laughs> you
1: Let's jumped.
0: See. Yeah, we'll, we'll 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 come back and we'll pick those up.
1: We're going warp speed, man. He's just out right ahead of yourself.
0: Yeah, we'll just we'll just knocking these out. So this this, this next one was uh, talking about Navy dive tables. I love the chamber they've got there. Nice color of blue. Uh, so this is essentially, a, th- this article was talking about uh, uh, some, how the research of the Navy dive tables, wow, yeah, I, I think. And we'll how it, the values
1: they came to were with 18-year-old specimens of manhood who were in damn good shape.
0: Well, we've kind of known that for a while.
1: Well, the tables were really good for them, but you get some old farts in that chamber, and they're going to get bent on the same tables. Oh, and I'm they're sorry. done that.
0: Yeah. So if you love mathematics, then this article is for you. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I did, I did get quite a bit off. So, uh, yeah, Seattle. Seattle has a clean water settlement, and uh, they're excited about it. And I think this is going to start a trend that we're going to see in the area where the larger municipalities are going to try and negotiate the the idea is that we don't want people putting poop in the water. So if you've been diving into rivers like we have, you can see what happens after rain and how nasty that gets. Uh, the local towns, were, they uh, had mandates of how long they were going to have to clean up their uh, their waste treatment systems. And uh, Seattle was uh, looking at paying pollution penalties uh, up to 350000
1: that would sure crush a city's budget.
0: Yeah.
1: But well, if you I, ain't got the money to make it right the first time, I don't know what the, the uh, settlement fee is going to do. Yeah. Either way, you're going to bankrupt a, a small community.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I don't think Seattle's that small community. No, but, uh, but if it
1: applies to Seattle, why would it not apply to everybody well, else? It
0: applies to all of them. Uh, South Bend and Elkhart, they're they're struggling. I think I uh, I saw numbers that was a billion dollars they were expecting they were going to have to pay. And the, you look at the work that uh, Seattle's saying they're 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 saying they're going to complete their project in 2025, and it's going to be 500 million. And really, what it comes down to is it's it's you're tearing everything up and starting over. So what Seattle had done is they had negotiated and said, instead of us trying to get this last little percent, why don't we go after the stuff that's really causing the most pollution? And so they were able to change the order in which things were done, which was to make it a little bit more palatable. Also gave them a little bit longer time to complete the project. So what they're saying is that uh, they had been making improvements. The regional wastewater system had been operating in the 60s. The volume of overflows has been reduced from about 30 billion gallons a year to less than 2 billion gallons a year.
1: Well, it still comes out, you're going to pay the money, whatever it costs, going to the customers.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's going to get passed on.
1: Just what we have in our locale between the Fenton Harbor, the St. Joe, and the township waterworks, Mm -hmm. and the disparity in how much they charge for water, it's amazing. And we're not even talking this kind of issue.
0: No, no. Well, anything with government, there's so many things that get – added and, and pieced together that you get charged for. You know, they use one budget to offset another budget.
1: I was curious about the water cleaning that a lot of factories and businesses have to do before they return water back to the environment.
0: Oh yeah. That
1: would be where I would see the people going after first because big pockets. Oh,
0: well they, the the thing with that, you don't hear about it. They're already doing it. I know firsthand uh, the amount of testing that goes into that. You know, it's like, like uh for example, say you have a bottle of whiskey and you drink part of it and you, you pour it down uh, your sink at home and that oh, goes out. Oh, no. Yeah, I know the tragedy, pouring Why whiskey down. Why would you
2: ever do that?
0: Yeah.
1: Disinfectant, disinfected. disinfected. Yeah.
0: Now, say at a business you do the same thing, going in the same sewer system, that's illegal. You're not allowed to put that down the drain.
1: At cook plant, when you were to have a boil over in your radiator, And the glycol or whatever would get into the drain system, it goes out to the lake like most drains do. Cook plant can't let that happen anymore, even though it's not part of their recycling water. You know, rain comes down on the parking lot, it rushes into the to the sewer pipe and up back out to the lake. They actually have to filter that.
0: Oh yeah.
1: And if they don't filter it, they got to minimize what would cause from that? Like, if you change your oil and you spill a quart, you know a quart of oil and water sure makes it looks like a lot. It is. They actually have booms and stuff there that they would put in front of those outfalls to capture anything like that. Yeah
0: Well, I've seen instances where the drain water uh, that they've we've run dyes in just to track where it flows because a lot of times you think about when some of these uh, storm drain systems are put in, nobody documented where those connect and what they go out to. So we had uh, put dyes in them and were trying to look to see, you know, where did they come out? Did they come out the main sewer line? Did they go into a holding pit? Did they go into uh, a creek uh, near the location? So there's, there's a lot of effort, but that happens. Uh, the city tests that water that's going in the, in the uh, sewer system, and they're always they're looking for businesses who are putting it in because they want to charge you. Because they, if it's going in the sewer system, they have to make sure that's clean to a certain percent. So and and there's just none's allowed, but I I like to say from the the fact of us diving the river, I sure like it a lot clearer. If you get everybody upstream of us to pay first, then that sounds like a good deal.
1: Yeah, I prefer not to uh, dive in the rivers when there's floaters.
0: Yeah. And this next one uh, was uh, from Craig. He actually gave us the lead on this story. This one is uh, out of Australia. Uh, cargo ship risked to the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, there's a 26 ton vessel. I think the name is called ID Integrity. was en route from Shanghai to Townsville when it broke down near Shark Reef in the Coral Sea, about 175 nautical miles northeast of Carnes. The Australian Maritime Safety Authority said the first tug would not arrive on scene uh, for uh, 24 hours. Oh,
1: yeah, that's a 26,000 vessel.
0: Yeah, a, a, a little volume there.
1: Yeah. Now, isn't this the same area that, remember, a couple of months ago, we were talking about one that broke up, and our a lady from Australia was talking about it, how they screwed up yeah, diving in that one area?
0: I think Did that, they was, that, that other
1: wreck cleared out.
0: That was New Zealand. I, I think it actually broke up. I don't think they're, they've completed uh, dealing with it. They were trying to determine how much they were going to leave, how much they had to get up. There was a big fight going on. Uh, you know, one the local guys all wanted it to go to go away and get tore up because they were afraid of uh, divers would uh, die diving on it. So they said, right now, uh, the the big risk was uh, the oil spilling out.
2: Yeah, running around again.
0: Dave's saying the arena. Is this the arena? No, that was the okay. one before. That was the one okay. in New Zealand. Yeah, that's what the chat well, was and- saying. That one.
1: In 2010, they talk about the Chinese registered bulk carrier Chang'e 1 ran aground on the barrier reef, causing a uh, three-kilometer oil slick. And then it said the RV Rena ran ran aground in New Zealand. That's the one we're talking about.
0: Cracked in two. Yep. This next article is out of St. John's Antiqua. Restauranteurs, environmentalists, and other concerned groups have put... Scuba diver shops on alert. This is following reports that Asians were looking to purchase 55 dive tanks and other scuba equipment to lobster fish and Barbuda. In an email, the concerned parties urge dive retailers do not accommodate these individuals. Ask them why they want tanks, and if it's for lobster or you suspect this, refuse to sell them. The Chinese are believed to be using local purchases of dive gear to allow them to dive deeper and harvest more lobsters. They have set their eyes on the location because uh, the stock can be found in numbers. Uh, This was according to one restaurateur who did not want his name published.
1: Well, if you ask me, I would say, no, they're not the lobsters. (laughs) (laughs) Don't accommodate. Ask why they want the tanks. Well, duh.
0: Well, the, the thing about this is, is this really the right way to go about it? Do they not have any laws on what can be harvested or how much? It sounds like there isn't that people they can just grab whatever they want, and it's okay if you're a local restaurant, but it's not okay for anybody else. Well, I'm so off the nation's
1: waters, I assume that meant their territorial waters.
0: Well, I would think territorial waters. I mean, how 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 deep are they? I mean, if they, if they're going to do it on air, seems like that would be within territorial waters, wouldn't it? Well, there's a
1: lot of different items when you start talking about boundaries.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and I don't remember what they all are. I know they were different. One was a 10-mile zone, then it was a 100-mile for a certain item. I don't know if the fishing went out 100 miles off your item.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a whole other topic. There's that's uh, They've got that that loss treaty is trying to make its way back through the uh, U.S. Uh, houses, the uh, Senate and the House again, and that's one that just won't die. It needs to die, but it hasn't, but... We'll try not to get too political, but this has been, that's been a, just a theme tonight. Oh, wow, I even got some that I didn't even, uh, gosh, I had these notes all messed up. So this one I, I, I might not have sent to you guys. Did you have the one on the skipper freeze, the uh, the humpback whale? Okay.
1: I think Skipper, we have a 12-mile territorial sea by convention. I just looked up for the Americans anyway.
0: Yeah. 12-mile yeah. Ours, I don't think we claim as much as what the international is trying to go for.
1: The United States voted against the convention. 104 countries officially claimed a 12-mile territorial sea by
0: 1988. Yeah. Yeah, We we've, that, that's, like I said, that lost treaty. They're, they're trying it again. Yep. They get political for a moment. It's funny, they want us to sign onto the treaty, but the members who currently have agreed that that is the law aren't following the treaty. So why should we even bother signing it if they're not following it?
1: I, I, that's another little sore spot when you start looking at uh, admiralty law versus territorial laws for wrecks and things like that. We, we are, I think a bit on the stupid side to agree to something like that, that's not in our economic benefit?
2: Oh, this, just a bit on the stupid side, you say? Yeah,
0: there is the understatement of the evening. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah,
1: bureaucracy is stupid. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: Well, there's What's no that? benefit for us to, to enter these treaties. And the thing is you're seceding uh, uh, your sovereignty by engaging these treaties. Is this another way of having uh, foreign... I don't even say governments. I I don't even recognize some of these foreign bodies as being legitimate governments. And you're going to well, let them steer? UN? What's that? The
1: UN is the one I'm worried about. We're signing well, on to crap with the UN that is against our constitution. No. And it's like, how can you do that? Yeah,
0: no, I yeah, I don't even get me going on the UN either. That's that's another one I'm not I'm not real fond of. I I love the idea of the UN. I just don't think it's being done at all practical. But back to uh, Wales. <laughs> A skipper <laughs> sightseeing uh, boat in uh, Orkney has been hailed for his bravery after jumping in the water to save a humpback whale. The boat was carrying a group of wildlife watchers across the 40-foot animal, which had become entangled, and discarded fishing ropes. The skipper donned his scuba gear, got in the water, and cut the animal free.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that, there you go, Don. <laughs>
1: Good for him. Actually, that scream was because the damn water was cold.
0: I bet. And then, and then they got video of it. So that does it for Scuba in the News. Now, Jim, you've got a GoPro, don't you? Oh, who do we lose?
1: Is Jim gone? Yeah. Well, yes, he does have a GoPro, and we have used it.
0: Someday when they get – I'm going to say the same thing about the Internet. I say about highways. Whenever they get this thing eventually finished, it's going to be really good.
1: <laughs> well, they always have, what, two seasons, right?
0: What, construction in winter? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've driven in Chicago for 20 years, and I don't think I've ever seen a season where that's not been under construction. Yeah. Well, actually, I should say more than 20 years.
1: Well, I would like to hear other comments from people who maybe have used the GoPro Hero 2. Uh I know SAS is selling those, uh, and they're very popular with skydivers. I I know a good number of people are doing other sports that use them, and I think the advantage of buying that over some is you get two cases with it, one with the – standard lens, and then a corrected lens
0: when you're using it for the underwater version.
2: That's all I set mine up. Um, I've got an above-water case and a below-water case.
0: Now, the the two cases normal?
2: No. No, it so comes you... with one case. I just purchased a second case so I could put the underwater lens on it, and I've got one for firefighting or whatever on the surface, and one underwater. So I've got a flat lens on the underwater and a uh, fish eye lens on the on the above surface. I was going to use it last weekend and forgot to put it on, so I guess I'll have to wait till this weekend to try it out. There you go.
0: Yeah, we did well, play with
2: it a little bit in the lakes.
1: Oh, had on during that ice time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. worked yeah. out well for that. Okay, the chat room is getting a little anxious, so we'll have to get into talking about the dive. Now, uh, let's see, we were planning on going diving last weekend, or I was, uh, but I wasn't able to make it. I trying to remember what happened. I, yeah, I we, think
2: were, we were going to go out on Saturday morning, but the boat wasn't ready, and we didn't
0: get eight, out till late Saturday afternoon. Oh, okay, so you did get out then. You were able to make a dive on Saturday afternoon.
2: Yeah, Mac and I went out to the Havana. I hadn't been on it at all last year and was amazed to see how much sand had moved away from the wreck and how much more of the wreck was exposed.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So, Because I can remember last time I was on Havana, it, I felt like the Havana was in a hole where there was a lot of sand just waiting to cover it up completely. So you, that sand's moved away this season?
2: Yeah, it has. Uh, there's places where you can almost stick your head in underneath the uh, the hull side. So it'll wow. be a very interesting wreck this year. A lot more exposed. I, mean, I don't know, Max, do you see any anchor chain? But it wouldn't surprise me if we do see anchor chain this year.
1: Yeah. I did not notice it, but uh, we did put up a post on the club site and included that sky, a uh, uh, four-man side scan of the front bow of it. And uh, what surprised me was the crag of mussels There are sections in the middle of the hull that now have decking that are actually clear. Yeah. Uh, there was a heck of a lot of dead fish around it, too. And there were a good number of dead gobies, and they're probably like six inches, and turned purple. When I see them turn purple, I know they're dying. I, don't, I didn't realize they got that large, but we saw a good number of them out there. And we did get the obligatory golf ball, too.
0: Oh, you did get a golf ball. Good.
1: Oh We got a couple of them, actually.
0: Oh, it, it counted, then. I'm, I'm always amazed. That wreck has a golf ball every time I have dove on it. <laughs> and it's miles away from any golf course, golf stream, bowl. anything. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, there's more golf courses now than there used to be, but either way, it's, they they got to travel. I just picture the lone golf ball, uh, you know, searching through the lake. Now, Mac, there's an idea. We need to get the golf balls to have uh GPS transmitters in them or something, and you just well, the throw them in the Well, you just yeah, just throw them in the water and they'll eventually all collect around every wreck.
1: That's true.
0: We wouldn't have to go yeah. searching. We just yeah. I
1: mean, well, so is we there, do is, is we are two shots. that's where wreck is. You know,
0: we need to test there that I idea are. with that like, with a hamster ball type of sized object. You know, something maybe a foot in diameter. That's uh, you know, a little heavier than neutrally buoyant. And you put that in there, and you you just you know let it go for a while. And when it stops moving around, then you figure it's found something, and you go search for it. I think we may be onto something. On something.
1: Sounds possible.
0: Now yep. look. Now, looking on that GPS, or not GPS, but the side scan you did at Havana, how would you ever pick that out as being a wreck?
1: You practice. Jim and I Uh, went up, I think it was Jim, when we went up to uh, Sheborgen, remember, in the bay?
0: Yep. And
1: we're actually going through, because it was on its shallow, like 30 feet, we get some lines, we anchor, go down and look at it, and then come back up and look at the scan and try to correlate what we saw physically with what it looks like. And just because it's an s line, that doesn't mean it's not a log that's fifty feet long,
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that was nice but up there we We could physically there was a lot of places we could just look down through the water to see what we were seeing uh on the side scan and could correlate it and then there were other times where we, like Max says, we would see something, go back, paint it from two or three directions, drop an anchor on it, go down to see what it was I
1: mean, well, that's basically that.
2: how we found max wreck was you know. we knew something was there and we kept side scanning it and seeing something that didn't look normal um, and then just Anchored, did a line sweep, and sure enough, there it was. I mean, there very little of that wreck ever shows up on a side scan.
1: The key item is if you look on the right side of the screen, you can see the bottom is generally flat. When you have flat, and then suddenly you have something that pops up and is distinctive. There's something there, and that could be a tree, but there ain't that many trees a couple of miles out. Well, I'm so, just a boulder, but there ain't too many boulders out there.
0: Well, I, I'm and just taking course, a <laughs> look at the one that you put in the post. In the post. And I'm looking at that, and I would just think that was the bottom.
1: No. After a while, you know what it is and what it doesn't.
0: Yeah. When you start seeing miles and miles or, you know,
2: lines and lines of stuff around the edge, and then all of a sudden you see these shadows there on the left... Uh, especially when you get something dead underneath you on the right screen and the left screen, you know, you know, you've run across something there. Uh, Either that or you did something with the boat or the transducer that created that blip. But when you see something on both screens like that, you've run right over top of it.
1: And we did hit some items that we need to go back out and look for because we spent some time before we got there and then we spent some time on the way back.
0: So uh, without giving anything away, you, you, there's, there's, reasons to think that you may need to do some more searching
1: oh absolutely especially the one that's in 30 foot of water I need to find out what that is
0: that yeah
2: we' we'll, we'll be running back out there again and uh, dropping a line and doing some some line sweeps
1: yeah Ken and I got out there last week before and uh, we were looking for the for the airplane that bomber
2: mm-hmm.
1: so we're out there and you always get a couple of ticks And you say, well, I know what it isn't, but we need to maybe remember where this is and come back.
0: Well, this is also where the the, the, the ROV comes into play. Absolutely. Yeah, because as much as I'd love to dive on every little object, that can get old after a while. Yeah, it would be a lot and,
2: faster to throw an ROV in the water and swim it around for a little while and stay on the boat having lunch yeah. uh, than to gear up and go down and spend 15 minutes on the bottom and come back up and you know either stay in your gear for the next hour or who knows what you'll able to see. So well,
0: I, I think that if we don't do it this year, that needs to be our winter project as a club is to get an RO, ROV going. I think we got enough technology in place where we could put something pretty decent together. I've
1: got a couple of plans for some. Actually, some are called PVCs, mm-hmm. PVC, ROVs. And the technology, there's more than enough in the club that can do the electronics. Oh, but yeah. you still got – it costs you a couple of bucks because you got to get a good camera.
0: Yeah. Well, the camera, but there's also some things that we what – I, what I would do, you know, we start talking about electronics, is go all fiber optics, is that I would build a self-contained – uh, video platform down on the bottom, and then I would send all that signal up fiber optic cable. You know, well, least... we
1: know the one gentleman who has his, it goes out and is controlled from the boat. It has a trailing line at the surface, and from that, because it can be away from the boat, so there's no connection, and then it broadcasts to you. But with the trailing wire, it can also have its GPS signal interpolated for the angle, so they know where it's at when they find or see something. That's pretty
0: neat. Yeah, here I just pasted a link. I'll give this to you guys as well. And this is a uh, a project called OpenROV, which is an open source underwater robotics. So what their idea is, that they're trying to get people all over the world making these, and they'll just keep refining the design. And the idea is it's supposed to be inexpensive and fairly easy to build. Interesting.
2: Huh. Interesting.
0: Yeah. OpenROV.com. So something to do a little bit more looking into. But back Page on, not found. Uh, pardon me? I just tried it. Page not found. Open ROV? I just went there.
2: It took me there. Did it? 2.3 2. prototype. Yeah.
1: All right. Oh, I, don't, I don't mind it. I'll find out.
0: Yeah. But this would also be something that you, that you were talking about, you know, having the the schools put something together. Uh, this is a nice platform where you could get different schools to compete and get ROVs but uh kind of kind of back in the dive so you had the havana that you did and then did a little bit of mowing the lawn uh but it looks like mac you that, that just scratched the tip of what you had been doing as far as diving
1: well i did spend some time this week at Paw lake which is my favorite <laughs> and i did go out with a gentleman who gave me a email Looked at our uh face our website and he's uh a little bit of a newbie. Only mm-hmm. mean uh, been certified, I think, like six weeks or so. But he's already got like 11 dives.
0: So wow, that's good for six weeks.
1: And considering that when he showed up, he's already got a wing, doubles, steals. Uh, he said he expects to go to the advanced, and then he's going to work his way up because he can be a tech diver eventually.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So he started buying his gear with that in mind.
0: Well, that's nice to even have to know that you're going to do that. Now, that's Richard who you're talking about?
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, He actually did very well out there. The weeds didn't bother him. He sort of lurked and followed me occasionally. And we both took flags because I said, when we get separated, not if, you can always go up and look and come back down. And he, he says, found well, hutchies.
0: Really... <laughs> did he find a hutchie or is that you? Yeah, I found those. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, if a new guy found a hutchie, I, I was going to be jealous. I'm jealous you, you, found are, them. you and me both.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I'm so... I,
1: I told him that if, if he had Found one, he'd have to keep it a secret because some members have been club members for years (laughs) and found any. And they would not kill him,
2: but maybe hurt him severely.
0: (laughs) We, we, We wouldn't do anything that would ruin his buoyancy.
1: Those, the two that are there, were on top of each other. Right off that freaking pier to the right
0: where I found oh, that. What you got to be kidding me.
1: No, I am not. I think those suckers grow there.
0: They they, because how many, I've, you and I have dove there so many times. I've got seven hours of bottom time, I think, just at that pier. Oh. It's off
1: to the right. You know that, that first house to the right where their dot comes out?
0: Yeah. Straight
1: out from that one and eight foot of water. Right in the middle of the high weeds, that's where I was at.
0: Yeah, well, you, that makes sense if it's in the weeds. Now, how was the because uh, uh, they had poisoned the lake? How how was uh, how did the vegetation? I've seen look?
1: absolutely. I think they fed the damn things <laughs> last year when they poisoned it. You saw immediate results.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It ain't working, buddy. Well,
0: maybe they're uh, getting I'll, resistant they, to it.
1: I was out there today and a couple of other places I was at. I re- went over there by the uh, wigwam.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
1: between fire lane number three and four. And you're talking 8-foot weeds in 10-foot of water and thick enough that if you didn't cut them as you went through them, you were going to be there. And if you struggled, it would tie you up like crazy. If you didn't go really, really slow, you were going to stay there for so, a while.
0: So you hit that that and pawpaw. Paw. Then you hit uh, the fire lanes and the yeah, fire lanes. Yeah, what I'm doing the is diving next fire,
1: fire lanes, trying to get access. I'm doing that program on treasure of a paw pawpaw, and I'm trying to... Continue around it so I've gone through most of it. And then Mm -hmm. try to correlate uh, the pavilions with what I'm finding and what the bottom terrain is. Uh, You know how I talk about the clay banks over there by uh, the Yacht Club? Yes. There's another one I ran in today over there by Fire Lane Number 4. You're in 10, 11 feet of water. And at the berm, it goes quite acutely down another six or seven feet and it's got the holes in the side, So when you go by, you're waiting for the arm or the more radio to <laughs> come out and get your body. But you got clay banks on that side too.
0: Well, it kind of makes sense that you, that the geography would be pretty similar.
1: And you did look at the treasure. So you can see I've been pretty lucky on Hutchies this week.
0: Yeah. Uh, let me see. I'll have to paste that link. I'll 71 that
1: degree one. plus water now, 10 foot viz and fish. Uh, I'm actually getting game fish that hanging around me. I started to take a, a can of squeezy cheese so I could feed them and play with them, but I don't have a camera. If I did, I would have done that today. And I have met some nice people out there letting me dive off the property, which is nice.
0: Boy, you keep finding fins, though.
1: Oh, you're looking at the treasures?
0: Yeah. Yeah, nice fin.
1: Yeah, I think I kept the one. Because, oh, did you see the one with the bucket? That was uh, the 18th. That was from Friday. I I really am pissed because that was a beautiful bucket intact with the handle. But when I brought it up, it it had swollen and had broken the bands. If that hadn't happened, that would have been a pristine antique bucket, to say the least. And that one above it, which has got that reel, uh, those are 1930 brass reels that are cleaning up very nicely. They're going to be keepers just by themselves. Because those are the ones that had the steel tips and everything with the handle, all brass. They were really nice.
2: You know, Mac, we can probably get somebody to make up an uh, iron band to put back on that bucket as it shrinks back down. As it dries out and shrinks, you could get an iron band made up for it. and You'd really have a yeah. nice keeper there.
1: Yeah. I did not toss that one away. but uh, I mean, I you kept
2: I, the Hutchies too, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I did give the new guy one. That's fair I said don't I said, but, but it it had some defects in it wasn't a good one it was a plain jane uh-huh. but that, that,
2: that whiskey bottle right. that
1: was two thirds full today. I kept that one because it had the metal screw top, not plastic, so I know that's an older one, and that little item by the mask and the fin that's a clump weight. I had not quarantine one like that that would be good for a buoy weight, a light buoy weight
0: now what was the what did it say on the milk bottle
1: that's nice, and that's going to... Another one for the museum. That's the water delete one. If you click on it, it blows it up.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm even... Yeah, I'm, I'm. Let me see if I can click on it again. Oh, there it is. Yeah.
1: And then I'll shrink back down, but it's the water delete one. And so they wanted some of those at the museum, so I got a bunch of those, but I got the ones with uh, the guy milking the cow on it.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh huh. They like those a lot more, though, <laughs> so I'm giving them some of each.
0: Oh, so you, you wow. had some of those with the milk and the cow? Yeah. When did you find um, those?
1: And then that black one, even though it's got a, a seam crack from the inside, it is very decorative. I have got to get that clean so I can take a picture of it. It is very nice on that one side. And on the sides of the flat sides, the back is clear. And uh, it's got etchings and all sorts of fancy stuff on it. So I'm really anxious to get that done.
0: Looks like you got a, a 60s pot bottle, that old colony.
1: Yeah, I hadn't Colony, I hadn't seen that before, and the silkscreen wasn't bad on it.
0: No, it, it has to be somewhat new, but I don't recognize the brand.
1: All right. Well, Rich was out there, and he picked up some cans that were nice because um, he's sort of a beer connoisseur uh-huh. from the collecting, not drinking, and uh, one of the cans he got was not even rusted. It, it almost looked um, bronzy, and he wasn't familiar with the label. I can't remember what it was right now, but it was a keeper because it wasn't rusted. Hmm. So yeah, he
0: did it, Yeah, the beer cans, anytime I find them, there's like will there'll be one pretty shiny side that you'll see up and yeah. then the bottom side is corroded in the bottom. Yeah. But yeah, you boy, it looks like you had an excellent haul of bottles.
1: I, I left some stuff down there for you guys.
0: Well, I figured they're probably gonna be a nice okay. little pyramid stacked up of uh junk. Yeah, yeah, like Max Discards. Yeah, pe- Pepsi it, with a soap screen falling it. off and
1: Things rust because you pull it up. Like you said, the bottom is rusted out. You bring it up. There's a couple of milk cartons. You know the old milk cans? Yeah. I got to let those stand up, so don't get your heart racing until you go to the backside. (laughs) And when you find that crock, it's sitting there in the dirt. When you pull it up gently with the handle, the bottom's missing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it tells you
1: something there. So I tried to get him the same way that if you find a bottle, a good one, you stop and you do a six foot circle because chances are you're going to find another one. Yeah. Because he's drinking, but he probably threw one at the same time you did.
0: Very nice.
1: Still got to get over towards Detroit. They got different bottles over there.
0: Yeah, we're we're going to have to get with Rich and Dave and
1: uh, and do some bottle hunting
0: over there. We just got to put some dates on the calendar.
1: Dave's become a diving fool. I'm just nothing. I'm just a shadow of him.
0: Oh. <laughs>
1: Definitely
0: get over there and do that. Yeah, we'll, we're going to have to do some of that.
1: We need a uh, St. Clair dive, even if it's an overnight real quick one, and dive our butts off the next day.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I'm. So that's the diving that you did. So what's coming up on the dive plans? We, we mentioned now, Jim, you're off tomorrow, right?
2: I am off tomorrow. I'm so, probably... Looks like it's going to be pretty windy tomorrow, so I'm going to use that to do a little more maintenance and work on the boat. And then uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, I would plan, plan to get wet every day. I just need somebody to go with me.
1: Well, i got to get a jump in there this weekend, but I not, whatever day is not the windiest. I may have a diving job on Sunday, so I'm planning that by here until tomorrow.
0: Well, this is, uh, this is the Moorhead City dive that I'm missing. Uh, We've got a big project going live midnight at Saturday night, and as I I still don't know what my schedule looks like, I have an idea that I won't be actually working, working, but I will have to be available. So I'm not sure yet. We saw Jim
1: out there, Cleman out there, uh, when we were scanning, didn't we, Jim? Yep,
0: yep. Oh, really? Yeah, he and
2: his family were out uh, cruising around the, the lake Saturday.
0: Oh, cool. Yeah, he yeah. That, that, so it means he's got his boat going. Yeah, I, I talked to him this week, and it sounds like he was uh, thinking about doing the Ironsides on Sunday.
2: Yeah, Bob's talking about going up there Sunday. So that's why I was thinking maybe I'll haul my boat up there Sunday, too, if we've got anybody to go. If not, I may just ride out with those guys. Yeah. But uh, Saturday, my my plan is Saturday, hit the Havana again, get the buoy up. What i really like to do is uh, get out the max rec either Sunday or Monday.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But, uh, you know, we'll see who's available and who wants to get
0: wet. Yeah. Now, what where is air available on a holiday weekend? What's Wolf's Hours like?
2: Don't know what. They'll be open Monday. They'll be open Saturday night. And uh, I have uh, access to some air. Uh-huh. So if you're driving with me, I can make sure you get refills.
0: Yeah. That's probably the other thing is just pacing myself. So, but yeah, I'll, I should know a little bit better tomorrow, but I'm expecting I have to, well, I'm, I'm going to be working Monday at some point. So Monday is going to be, unless I can pop in and skate out real quick.
2: My schedule is flexible. So whenever I can get, you know, the most people available who want to get wet, we'll accommodate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I haven't been on the Havana yet, and I ha- also haven't been on, well, I haven't been on the iron side yet, and I haven't been on Max Rack. Oh, my gosh. Who would have thought yeah. nobody had been out to Max Rack here at the end of May? Yep. Well, I'm, thinking,
2: I'm thinking I may leave the boat in the river somewhere instead of hauling it back and forth all weekend.
0: hmm That makes sense. Either that or do you, you you don't have a good place to park it not
2: really, but I probably could find one. Yeah. Uh, you know, for the weekend, I may just, uh, find a slip and borrow a slip or rent a slip.
0: Yep. So, uh, stay tuned for next week. I bet we have all sorts of diving stories. Oh, then Mac, hope- I gotta, I gotta get your light back to you.
1: I'm sure I'll see you in the near future.
0: Okay. So, uh, I want to thank everybody for listening, everybody in the chat room. Uh, you can go ahead and follow us on our website, scubaobsessed.com. We're also on iTunes. Also, Stitcher Smart Radio. Make sure you give that a try. If you like. If you have a good high-speed connection on your phone, you can listen to the program live. You don't have to download it. That's on Stitcher Smart Radio. You can use the uh, term scuba when you sign up for that. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. You can follow us on Twitter, at Scuba Obsessed, and I am at Darren Jilson. D-A-R-R-I-N-J-I-L-L-S-O-N. Oh, and one thing we didn't talk about in the news, but uh, last week we had uh, Denea on the program, and she was signing up for that French job, and she actually won the competition to be the English blogger.
2: Ah, good for her.
0: So she is on her way to France. She's going to land in France on June 3rd, so we're going to have her back on the program at some point in time. We may do a special uh, recording and then uh, edit that into the show. So, but uh, she's, so yeah, she's, she was extremely excited. Hopefully it did. So I appreciate everybody who voted for her and uh, we'll, we'll get some uh, good entertainment out of it. Oh, let me see. Boy, at this point of the show, I always say like, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I think what I'm forgetting is I need to do more diving.
2: (laughs) well it, it, it's we've talked about news, we've talked about dives, we've talked about planning dives. I guess the only thing left is the last
0: thing it is, and this one is exceptionally bad,
2: all right, I'm glad we stayed on for it,
0: yeah, yeah, Oh, there go there's somebody just dropped off the chat room, so they know when they get away. Dave's asking if it's a bad Ohio. Diver joke. I didn't put Ohio. There's
2: no, there's no <laughs> Is there a good one? Ohio divers. <laughs> you know, there's just Ohio divers.
0: Isn't Ohio landlocked? Do they oh. have water in Ohio?
2: Yeah, Toledo. They get oh. to touch the Great Lakes, you know, up, up north.
0: Yeah, didn't we have that Toledo wharf or something to get that taken care of? Can't believe we left them with some, some access to water. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, Michigan, we didn't have enough water. We need more. Okay, so I can't delay stall whatever any longer, so here we go.
2: here we go
0: and i and I love the beginning of this one any 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 time you have this beginning line, and you'll you'll pick up and see what I mean. A scuba diver walks into a bar, sits down, and orders a drink. Hey, nice tie comes out of nowhere. He looks up to see the barman to see if he's saying anything, but since he was on the other side of the bar, the man just ignores it. Hey, nice shirt. The man looks up again. The barman is engaged elsewhere. Hey, nice suit. The man calls the barman over and asks him why he keeps talking to him. It's not me, it's a complimentary peanut, says the barman.
1: (laughs) You said that one's from Ohio?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess you could imply it's from Ohio. uh
2: Okay.
1: Well, that's high up on the list of the bad ones, isn't it? <laughs> you we sure. have a new winner, folks.
0: <laughs> so, until next time, go out there and get wet. <laughs>
2: and remember, no droids were harmed in the making of tonight's show.
0: Call recording has been completed.